Hi, I'm Joe Feeks, editor of Poultry Health Today, and with me is Dr. Callan Cookson. He is a veterinarian and director of poultry clinical research at Zoetis. Always good to see you, Callan. Thanks, Joe. Good to be here. We are at the International Avian Respiratory Disease Conference, so it's a good time to talk about respiratory disease, but sometimes respiratory disease isn't the whole story. There's some secondary infections that can slip through the back door. Right. With bronchitis, uh, the virus itself sets up uh, essentially secondary E. coli infections for the most part. Um, there, there are some nephropathogenic strains of bronchitis, and they can cause mortality from flushing, um, but uh, most, most bronchitis uh, challenge isolates are more respiratory in nature. So then it's the sequelae of uh, secondary infections that we were addressing. Now, I understand you had a customer on the Delmarva Peninsula that ran into that situation that you just described. Right. So uh, in the winter of 2014-15, which was a a particularly deep and cold, long winter, um, the 1639 serotype really came on strong. It had been around for about two or three seasons but it it really gained momentum that one winter. At the time, none of the available vaccines on the shore um, gave enough cross-protection in combination that that with the depth of the winter and the, uh, you know, the the serotype uh, lack of cross-protection that these vaccines afforded allowed it to gain more and more momentum through the winter. And so it came to a point where uh, toward the tail end of winter, the uh, Mount Air Farms uh, looked at the possibility of an E. coli vaccine, at least minimizing the losses from the secondary infections. Well, take me from the top though, because when they had the infectious bronchitis, were they seeing losses that could be specifically associated with the bronchitis virus? If you look real closely, you can see that at first you have head snicking, conjunctivitis, you can, uh, you can uh, have uh, shaking heads and coughing, all the classic symptoms of a bronchitis outbreak. Um, and even the air sacs, you can get uh, foamy, sudsy air sacs, which is what happens at the very beginning of an infection. Um, but that's not usually what the birds succumb to. It's usually the E. coli infection that comes in behind all of that damage that's been set up. And then the E. coli sets up in, usually in the air sacs and, and then the birds cheese up, we say. And uh, they uh, oftentimes will succumb and die uh, from that respiratory disease, chronic respiratory disease, CRD, um, unless they're going through that secondary infection right at the time that they're hitting the processing plant. And that's when you end up with very high condemnation rates. Let's talk about that a little bit. How do you know when E. coli becomes a problem? Do you first see it in the live birds, or is it something that you really don't discover until they get into processing? Well, um, usually it, you'll, you'll see it with a, uh, an increase in mortality rate. So you usually have a normal baseline rate that you expect based on season and things like that. Um, but when it, it gets higher than that baseline level, uh, then, uh, it's in, and then you go out and you post-mortem birds, 
and when you see a lot of uh, a lot of cheese in the air sacs, uh, pericarditis, perihepatitis, then that's classic E. coli secondary infections. And so, what's the course of action? I mean, E. coli is a bacterium. Do you go after it with an antibiotic? Well, that that used to be you know the go-to remedy for E. coli infections, but today, as you know, we have fewer options uh, to treat flocks. You know, that's where uh, vaccination has become more of a viable, you know, alternative um, preventative medicine versus treatment type of uh, procedure. So tell me a little bit more about what happened at Mount Air. They have this outbreak. There are signs of uh, E. coli. Do they start vaccinating right away? In this case, we had approached them about the possibility of vaccination with the, with the idea that, okay, it's quite apparent that the combination of serotypes of bronchitis in your vaccination program weren't giving adequate cross protection against this novel serotype the birds were being challenged with. On the other hand, here is a vaccine that has been tested and we demonstrate broad cross protection. So as opposed to the limited spectrum of protection that, that's typical of bronchitis vaccines, uh, at least addressing uh, the breadth of the E. coli coverage with a live vaccine and to cover up or, or uh, uh, diminish the secondary effects of, of the E. coli infections. That was kind of our strategy uh, for the field trial. So again, the, the problem was infectious bronchitis. You don't have a tool to attack 1639, so you have to kind of shift your strategy and focus on the secondary infections. Right, so the idea was to see if, you know, what impact uh, could, could be made at least to reduce the secondary infections of the E. coli. And so that was the purpose of the trial with the idea that, you know, whenever we have an emerging bronchitis variant come into a region, and we don't have adequate tools to address the bronchitis itself, you know, that will take time before we can develop either autogenous vaccines or commercial vaccines to come up with that best strategy for the bronchitis itself. At least this could be kind of a stopgap measure to at least address the secondary effects of that bronchitis. And so how is the vaccine used? The live vaccine is typically administered in the hatchery uh, by the spray cabinet. So whatever, uh, normally people are giving Newcastle bronchitis vaccines or at least bronchitis vaccines so that the E. coli vaccine can be mixed directly with those vaccines so it's all administered all at one time. And then do you have to field boost them or does the hatchery vaccination pretty much take care of it? That's a good question. Um, Most times just a day of age vaccination for a broiler type bird is sufficient, although um, we did look at both both approaches in this field trial because uh, our previous work in a pen study demonstrated that a two-time vaccination, a primer in the hatchery followed by a, a booster vaccination actually gave numerically better control of E. coli lesions. So the company, when we designed the trial, we looked at um, both approaches. 
Now, vaccinating for E. coli certainly seems like a good idea, but it is uh, another expense. Um, How do you go about measuring the return on investment from something like that? Well, there are uh, different ways. Uh, uh, One of the bottom line ways to look at that is what is the cost per pound of of, uh, meat meat produced? and uh, that's kind of like the bottom line cost of production on the live side. And you can compare your two treatment groups, your controls, which in this case would be no E. coli vaccination to the flocks that did receive the E. coli vaccination. And, uh, and you, you, you have a number there. And if the rate of return, the, the, the cost savings bottom line Uh, offsets the cost of that input of the E. coli vaccine, then it's a net gain. And in this particular trial, in the small and medium-sized birds, we saw about a three-to-one return on investment uh, ratio. Now, in this particular situation, E. coli was brought about an infectious bronchitis outbreak. Um, There are a lot of poultry operations today that have eliminated the, ha- the antibiotic from the hatchery. Some are not using antibiotics in the broilers at all. Um, does this open up the door more for E. coli infection? Absolutely. Um, when, uh, when we don't have uh, those tools uh, to diminish the, the, uh, the loads of the bacteria, starting from the hatchery all the way through production, then naturally the level of exposure is going to be higher in our systems and on those birds. Um, If there's any level of immune suppression, that's going to compound things and uh, create more opportunities for uh, E. coli infections and other bacterial infections. Um, And so um, we do have some customers that are in ABF production that that vaccinate with with E. coli um, as part of their program. And uh, they believe they they have a more consistent uh, production um, and fewer blips and opportunities of high mortality flocks. So, Kellen, we talked about the different vaccination options. You can either give it in the hatchery or you can field boost them. What's really the difference in terms of vaccine performance? Well, it's interesting. We did uh, a pen study, a controlled broiler pen study, and we compared day of age to an 18-day boost to day of age plus 18 day boost. And uh, you could see that uh, just the day 18 vaccination had uh, significant reductions in E. coli lesions, but uh, not quite on the level of uh, day of age, which I discussed briefly in the talk today. I attribute that my thoughts are just that we get a superior spray coverage by day of age vaccination than we do from field boosting where you're spraying as much floor and, and you know, walls of the house than you are actually getting the vaccine in the bird. But then uh, the day of age followed by the booster was uh, even lower level uh, of E. coli uh, lesions. In fact, uh, they were very, uh, those birds were closest to the negative control. So mm. it was almost entire protection from a two-time administration. And practically speaking, the lower the E. coli lesions or the fewer E. coli lesions we have, how does that translate to the bottom line? 
Well, it, it depends. Uh, it depends on, I guess, how much your challenge is. I'd say in most situations, the challenge is probably, um, you know, one-time vaccination is probably going to be sufficient. In, in the case of this particular broiler field trial, when we went from one uh, day of age to a day of age followed by a booster, we actually saw a linear response. So you had uh, a positive uh, response of X to the day of age and a 2X to the two-time vaccination. So in the case where birds were not well protected against the bronchitis challenge and a lot of secondary E. coli, the two-time administration you know, um, will at, at least uh, improved um, the, uh, the level of control that, for example, in this case, the large bird operation, because uh, they had three different bird sizes, and in the large birds, they had uh, uh, an eight to one um, ratio of uh, flocks with excessive mortality. So um, the two-time administration really cut down on those what we what some people might call train wreck flocks or others might call heavy hitters, you know, ones that you don't want those surprises where uh, either you get high condemnation rates in the processing plant that that uh, shuts the lines down, or where you have such excessive mortality from a farm that you're not maximizing uh, all your uh, your uh, processing shackle space. So. Uh, you lose efficiency either way. We've been talking to Dr. Callan Cookson. He is a veterinarian at Zoetis. Callan, thanks again for stopping by. Thank you, Jill.